Welcome to P.I.'s Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler. Good morning. This month we are featuring folks who have been wrongly convicted and exonerated. This week is just a little different. We'll be talking to Charles Ron, a private investigator who strongly believes that one man, Frank Amodio, the former chief executive officer of Mirabilis Ventures Incorporated, should not be in prison. Frank Amodio is serving 22 plus years in a federal prison. Good morning, Charles. Good morning. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much. I'm proud to be on the show with you. Well, I'm proud to have you on. Uh, your background, Charles, as a Navy submarine navigator, a law enforcement veteran of over 20 years, where you were, um, gosh, a technical investigator responsible for electronic security, wiretaps, covert, overt, and overt video systems, and you're now a private investigator. I think it's pretty safe to say you're a technical fact-based kind of guy. Yes, I am. Thank you. <laughs> I thought so. <laughs> you 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 get down to the nuts and bolts, right? We try to, yes. Well, how is it you believe in Frank Amadio? Get tell us about that. Well, I started to work with uh, Frank in two thousand one. He hired me as his corporate director of security, so I was uh, part of the inner sanctum of his company. And in so working with him, I was responsible for hiring the people for his security staff. And I mm-hmm. hired retired FBI agents, retired Secret Service, retired postal inspectors, local retired uh, police officers. So we built quite a few uh, people, brought quite a few professional people into our team. So I knew what was going on. Mm-hmm. Okay. And um, so he's been convicted, I believe, of conspiring to commit, conspiring to commit wire fraud. Uh impeding an IRS investigation, obstructing Uh an agency proceeding, and Uh failure to remit payroll taxes. Is that, am I correct on that? That's it, yes. Uh Okay. And, but you were on the inside and you believe that this, none of these things are things he's responsible for? Not one bit. What happened is that Frank bought a payroll company that had failed to pay their withholding taxes. They had done it two years prior to Frank's purchasing of the company. They did not divulge that to Frank, and uh, therefore the IRS came after Frank since he was the owner of record, and uh, he was charged with it. That's the basis of the whole thing is a company he bought that had not paid their payroll taxes, withholding taxes, and he was charged with it. And I mean, that seems really strange. He wasn't able to explain that or, or give him information about that? Well, the IRS came to him and sat down and, and actually worked out a payment plan, told him it was a civil thing, not a criminal thing. Uh-huh. Frank, Frank was immediately ready to write a check for $50 million. I think the total tax indebtedness was $126 million. So he agreed to the payment. The IRS, the agent that he worked with, again said, this is civil, it's not criminal. We'll work out a payment plan. Well, there was an assistant U.S. attorney in town by the name of Randall Gold, 
who is now deceased, by the way. He died about three years ago. But Randall mm-hmm. decided to make a name for himself, so he filed criminal charges against Frank. And he prosecuted My goodness. Him. That's, that's yeah, everybody's no worst nightmare. Uh, even, the, even the U.S. Supreme Court has said that uh, this is a uh, civil infraction, particularly if you have no knowledge of a crime, of a tax crime. And you, you, you're, you're not aware of it. You can't be charged criminally. And that's ruled, actually, by the U.S. Supreme Court. Well, didn't, didn't uh, Frank plead guilty? He did, and let me back up on this thing, too. Frank is bipolar. Okay. Okay. He's an attorney. He has a law degree. Uh, before he was uh, sent away to be evaluated up in McLean, Virginia, at a mental health institute, he hired a local attorney here by the name of Butch Slaughter, paid him $1.2 million to defend him. Well, while Frank's gone, the assistant, assistant U.S. attorney, Mr. Gold, went to Mr. Slaughter and told him, he said, get your client to plead guilty to this charge or else we're going to take that $1.2 million back from you. Frank comes back to Orlando. He is drooling from his lips from being over-medicated. And as he stands there in the court, Judge John Antoon asked the attorney, how does your client plead? And, of course, he answered guilty. Mm-hmm. Of course, he wanted to do this because he didn't want to lose that $1.2 million. That was his retirement check. Mm-hmm. So that's why mm-hmm. Frank got stuck with what he's done. And then being in prison, he's filed the appeals. The appeals, several appeals got the mail back to wrong place or whatever. And it, the uh, time bar ran out on it. And he's been fighting the time bar issue and whatever ever since then. But he waited five years to do anything because of the fact that the statute of limitations had run out on the other employees, me included. You know, So uh, we didn't have to face any of that stuff because we had no knowledge of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So after five years is when he started fighting, and he's been fighting ever since then. And we've, we've discovered, so, uh, uh, uncovered a lot of things uh, really where, uh, where we found out that the United States Supreme Court has ruled that, that uh, lack of knowledge of a criminal case is not a conviction for a criminal offense. Right. You have to have intent. Right. Right. Well, let's let's back up, Charles. So mm-hmm. you went to work for um, Mir- Mir- well, Nexia. You went to work right. for Nexia Strategy Corporation in what year? In two thousand two, I think it was. Yes. Mm-hmm. Two thousand two. Did you know Frank before then? I had I had met him, but I didn't know him personally. Okay. And how did you come to? Uh, start working for Nexia? Because at the time you were a private investigator, correct? Right, right. I owned a company called A Very Private Eye, which I've since sold. But uh, I was called in by a friend that worked for Frank. They wanted me to do a background on Frank to find out what I could find out. And I did an extensive background. So Frank wanted to talk to me and asked me to explain everything to him, and I did. And then within a week later, he called me and asked me if I would like to come on board as his uh, corporate director of security. And I readily agreed mm-hmm. to it, and so I worked for it. Okay, okay. Now, at that time, um, he owned, there were a whole bunch of companies involved under the umbrella of Mirabilis, right? Mirabilis is the way it's pronounced, but anyway. Yes. Mirab- oh, Mirabilis, okay, I'm pronouncing it wrong? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
So there were a number we of, had, of companies. We had a number of companies, and up until the time that uh, the IRS or Mr. Gold decided to bust him, we had uh, companies around the world. We had up to 40,000 people under payroll mm-hmm. somewhere in the world. And My because goodness. of Mr. Gold wanting to uh, prosecute this thing, 40,000 people lost their jobs. Well, did Mr. Gold have a particular vendetta against Frank? I mean, what was going on behind the scenes? We think that Mr. Gold wanted to become a federal judge. And up until that time, he hadn't done anything really noteworthy. And so he wanted to make a name for himself, so he decided to prosecute Frank because of the fact that there was $126 million plus interest and penalties, totaling $150-something million. He wanted to prosecute for that money for the government to make a name for himself. Mm-hmm. And we think that's the reason he did it, even though, you know, like I said, the IRS came to him and said, this is civil, it's not criminal. Uh, Frank even took uh, four polygraph tests, passed every one of them. He had no knowledge of what was done was a crime. And uh, even investigations by outside investigators, from law enforcement officers, uh, uh, cleared him all this stuff. So there was no intent to commit a crime there. Now, was this was was this the uh, purchase he made from Frank D'Agostino? Was that the same? Uh, that's not the same. I don't know if that's the same or not. I don't recall that name. All right, I've heard the name, but I can't remember what his tie-in was. Okay, the the article that I read said that uh, D'Agostino was connected with the Trump Tower Tampa project. And that um, Frank had re- had purchased the assets of this 52-story um, tower, and then a yeah, second that's, that's related the tower project. Tampa, the, the tower over in project that was over in Tampa. That was uh, it's going to be the Trump Tower, I recall. Okay. In Tampa. Um. Well, I mean, what I read, Charles, is that he originally faced up to 370 years in prison mm-hmm. and more than an almost $7 million. Right. Uh, it's, it's just, it's almost incomprehensible that, I mean, first of all, the money's incomprehensible. The size mm-hmm. of the company's incomprehensible. And the mm-hmm. fact that they've gone after him and were successful. Yes. Wrongly successful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, he, he was amazing. Now, he, was, he was wrongly charged and wrongly convicted for it. When he pled to it, only because of the fact he was uh, he was drooling, he was out of his mind in court. And you, you know, you can't let a person that's mentally incompetent stand before a judge and plead guilty or something when he doesn't have any idea what he's pleading guilty to. He has no idea what's mm-hmm. doing, what's happening. Mm-hmm. Do you know what kind of medication he was on? Uh, I don't know the names of them. All I know is he was on several meds, and like I said, when he came back to Orlando, he was drooling. And over the period of time while he's been in prison, he has managed to wean himself off the medication. Uh, mm-hmm. he, he he sees when he's going to start cycling, and when he feels it coming on, what he would do is just go lay down, take a nap, or go sleep. He may sleep for 24 hours until he sleeps at all. Mm-hmm. He recognizes the symptoms, and he deals with them effectively himself. No medication. He hates taking the medicine. Yeah. Was he aware he was bipolar before he went in prison? And, uh, oh, yeah. Before this happened? Oh, yeah. he, he was made aware of the fact he was bipolar back when he was, uh, I don't know, six or eight years of age, I guess it was. Okay. That's when he was diagnosed. 
But a very intelligent man, Frank has an IQ of 186 in the top 2% of the world. Yeah. Well, I, I read some of the things you sent me that he wrote. He's, he's quite a guy, and he's also a, uh, an attorney as well, yes. which, you know, which is another amazing part. <laughs> how, how in the world did this happen? Um, yes. So, uh, okay, so uh, you went to work for Nexia, and then c- kind of give me the steps of what happened after that. Well... It was my job to build a security force because they want to build a, a security team. And if that's what I did, in addition to having my private investigator company subcontract to uh, Morabilis or to Nexia, you know, to do the backgrounds of all the you know potential employees and all that kind of stuff and, and do intelligence reports. And so it's my job to hire those people. And I, and I travel to different places interviewing, like I said, retired FBI agents, Secret Service, uh, U.S. Postal Inspectors, and so on and so forth. And uh, I mm-hmm. built up probably about uh, 15 people, including one attorney who was a former police officer herself. And uh, we built up quite a team, a security team. And we were working on uh, contracts, uh, all kind of contracts throughout the world, personal security. Uh, uh, we were going to try to contract and uh, have some military uh, security contracts, much like Blackwater did. Mm-hmm. We had uh, we had great ideas for potential growth and growing the company, but everything mm-hmm. came to a head in 2004 when the investigation started, and, and it just went downhill from there. I remember the day that we were all given notice to pack up your things and leave. We're we're out of business, and it was a big blow to all of us. And, uh, so at that time, you'd only be you don't you'd only been there two years at that point. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. And had they had any kind of a security force before you started, Frank? Or Frank, uh, Charles? Uh, no, no, he had not. Uh, I was the first person to start doing that. We had nothing okay. at all. And Frank was a growing company when I started on board. I was one of the, probably the first uh, 50 people that he hired. In fact, I know it was within the first 50 group. And we just grew and grew and grew from there. We just bought companies, just kept buying companies. And the big thing was mm-hmm. buying that payroll company that had not mm-hmm. paid their withholding taxes. So that caused the, the big big problem right there. People and where was the payroll company based, based at? Uh, let's see, I can't remember. We bought several payroll oh. companies, and I can't remember which, which one this was where it was based. It might have been the one in Kansas City. I can't, can't recall at the moment. So... <sighs> This is just, it's so hard to imagine. So when the feds, I guess the IRS got a bead on what was going on with this, with the taxes on this payroll company. What happened mm-hmm. the f- first? They come and talk to Frank? Yes. Oh, yes. They come and talk not only Frank, but talk to our uh, CPAs. Well, actually, they talk to CPAs first. Uh, our head CPA was a man by the name of Dan Myers. They talked to Dan, and Dan told me what was going on. So yeah, we worked out a deal with him. We got to give him a check for $50 million. And it wasn't long after that agreement that the, uh, the assistant U.S. attorney came down with the indictment. Okay, Charles, we have to take a break. We have to come back to this. I just It's just astonishing. More it to is. come. We'll be right back with Charles Ron. Okay. 
the Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. Private investigator and former law enforcement officer Charles Ron thinks that former Mirabilis CEO should not be in prison today. He's here to tell us why. Charles, um, so I just can't imagine. You've been there for two years, and on, in 2004, you're all of a sudden told that all of these companies are going to be closed. All these yes. employees are going to be laid off. Mm-hmm. What were the steps that happened right before that? Uh, the steps were taken before that was when the IRS came to our companies, to our CPAs, and told them that, the, that we owed money, or our company owed the money because we owned the company, even though the uh-huh. former owners had failed to pay their withholding taxes. Since we were the owner of record, we were the ones that had to pay it. And uh, we had no knowledge of that when we bought the company. So therefore, mm-hmm. that the, uh, it was incumbent upon us to have to pay that money. But, you know, usually, I mean, usually dealings with the IRS, and, and particularly when you're talking about funds of this magnitude, it takes a long time to kind of sort through everything. So, I mean, how long had this been going on up until 2004? Well, Do you have any idea? Well, the was in, sentencing was in 2005, so I'm trying to back this thing up. I, I think the... Uh, Investigation, as I recall, started uh, late spring or early summer of 2004, and none of us had any real particular worries about the thing because you know we had the money to pay the the fine. We just going to pay it over a period of time. We started uh, with a 50 million dollar payment, and to have the rest of it paid within a year, including penalties and interest, which totaled 156 million, I think. 
And we certainly agreed to it. Well, you know, Frank found out that we owed it, and Frank's the type of person. He is so honest. In fact, he's honest to the point that when he gets out, if he, if he gets this whole thing overturned, if he does, then there's no tax liability at all. But Frank's so honest, mm-hmm. he's going to pay the taxes anyway. He has made that statement yeah. to me, and and, uh, and he will. I, I firmly believe that he will. This man doesn't drink, doesn't cuss, doesn't, doesn't swear, doesn't do anything. <laughs> he has no vices. He's a Christian. He's uh, he's as clean as they come. Amazing. And, uh, and he, so he, 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 cannot, he... he cannot tell a lie. He will not lie to any, even to cover himself. He will not lie. You know, most people and tell white first... lies. Frank won't even tell a white lie. Okay. That first fifty million was that ever paid, or did that did it stop before that happened? No, it stopped before it happened. Yeah. We, we, okay. The money is was, was seized by the government. Yeah. They seized uh, uh, 180 or 220, I can't remember the exact figure, 180 to $220 million from us. Okay. And they took all the money and all the companies. They, they, they closed us all down. Huh. So did the, did the IRS actually come in and padlock the doors? Yes, they did. Did they? Oh, what an ugly day that must have been. It was an ugly day, so, the day that go down in infamy for us, I'm concerned. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So was was there a written agreement with the IRS? I don't know about the written part. Uh, all I know is what I was told, so I'm not sure what was written and what was not. But there was a female agent, and I cannot think of her name at the moment, that, that worked uh, with our CPA, and they were the ones that came to the agreement. And I suppose if it had been written, it would probably been, uh, uh, been tossed out of court. So apparently it was not a written agreement. Okay, and, and Charles, uh, i got to ask you this. How, do you, how are you sure that what Frank tells you is absolutely true? Because everything that he told me when I was working for him and everything he's told me in the last uh, three years that I've been visiting with him in the prison has been nothing but the truth. Uh, he openly okay. admits to everything, even when his board meetings, the first uh, board meeting we had with all the uh, the presidents or CEOs of all the companies we owned, he came out and readily admitted that he had a criminal record. He had been uh, in prison in Georgia as an attorney for something to me that he said, told me it was frivolous and he could get it overturned. He could get his law license reinstated in Georgia with no problem. Mm-hmm. And I just believed him everything he told me. Just everything... Every day he says something to me. I never saw any fallacy in anything. And, you know, PIs can pick up on that pretty quick, but I never saw it. He just Yeah, well, some people would say, some people might say you might be too close to him, and that's why you believe him. Well, I believed him because I worked with him before. That's why I believed Mm -hmm. him so much. And then uh, last year, after working with him, he... uh, the courts uh, finally told him he needed a, a guardian, and so he asked for me to be appointed his guardian. And so it took took about four months to get get everything through the courts because I had to run is that, know, have a have a background and all this kind of stuff. So is I finally that like got a conservator? In June I'm sorry. It, is that like a conservator? Is yes. It the same. Same right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah, so I, you I handle am, any. I'm the You're guardian of, of the life. I'm the guardian, according to the state of Florida, I'm the guardian of the life of property of, of Frank L. Amadeo. 
Okay. So all he right. can't do anything without my permission and my approval. And I have to file all his papers, all his writs and appeals and everything else like that. I have to appeal. I have to file this personally in the uh, federal court in Orlando. And you see him fairly frequently? Every other month. I mean, every other Monday I do. Every other Monday. Okay. Mm-hmm. And you've been doing this since uh, 2008? I've been visiting with him since, no, 2000. No, I've been visiting with him since 2011. Okay. 11, yeah, 2011 I started visiting with him. That was just on occasional visit. Then I got, mm-hmm. a couple of years ago, I got it where I was on a almost weekly basis. The prison used to have a weekly basis visit up there. And then they changed it so you could only go alternately to try to cut down on the throngs of people. There's a lot of people who go in that prison to visit people. And sometimes they're waiting in a waiting room. I've waited as long as three hours in a waiting room to get in to see him, you know, for a two-hour visit. So. Yeah, I know. That happens all the time. Um, when you visit, when you go to visit prisons, and th- this mm-hmm. prison is in northern Florida, is that am I correct on that? Yes, just north of Orlando, called Coleman, C O L E M A N, Coleman Federal Prison. Okay. Okay. It's a fairly large institute. It's one of the largest in in the federal prison system. So I'm assuming that Frank represents himself since he's an attorney. We, he does, but we have a number of other attorneys that are working pro bono, and we have one one attorney actually appointed by the federal court that's working on his cases. Uh, we also have uh, a number of paralegals and other private investigators that are also working on his behalf, and most of it's pro bono. And everybody believes that he shouldn't be where he's at? Yes, everybody believes that. We don't have okay. any problem at all with that. We've got... Even the federal agents, the retired federal agents that I hired, all all believed in his innocence. So why why do you think his... I'm sorry, say that again? There was no knowledge of a crime. Frank had no knowledge that he was committing a crime. And, And why do you think his appeals haven't been successful? Because of the time bar ran out. Time for appealing. You kept kept trying to uh, go through the process and kept getting kicked back and so now he's managed to get around a few of those hurdles and we're starting to get heard and with this latest appeal that I just filed uh, yesterday uh, I think we're looking better about getting him out and getting the thing reversed that's what we want to do, we want to get total reverse on this Mm -hmm. charge get it dropped altogether for sure I can imagine He's been real busy in the, in the prison as an attorney. He's gotten uh, seven inmates totally released for charges reversed on those, and then he's gotten a sentence reduction for another 500 inmates since he's been in there. So he's been busy because he teaches a law law class in the in the prison there for other inmates so they can uh, become a, a PA when they come out. Apparently, <laughs> I would think <laughs> I would think the prison would want to get him out of there. <laughs> Yeah, you think so. But, you know, the funny thing is, Frank's a very likable guy. He, all the guards like him, all the inmates like him. Even one of the guys, one of the Latin gang came up to him and told him one day, said, if anybody messes with you, we'll take care of them. <laughs> so oh, everybody great. likes Frank in there. Frank's uh, never had a he, fight, never had a disagreement with anybody in there. Uh, he's about 50 years old at this point? Yes. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, okay. Well, this is, uh, you know, it's, it's really amazing. I mean, I'm sure what the feds looked at this like was a similar to an Enron deal or, or something like this, you know, mm-hmm. this multi-million, multi-agency corporation. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it's a target. Actually, you could probably go into any corporation and find some uh, suspected wrongdoing, I suspect, because, oh, sure. uh, you know, yeah. people just go about their daily lives trying to get the work done. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So well, what, he was certainly wrong what, to charge, no doubt. Go ahead. What, well, what do you think are the biggest obstacles to get, getting him released? Getting a hearing uh, before the U.S. District Court of Appeals in, in Atlanta, in the 11th District. Uh, the judge here, the Judge Antoon, the judge that he was sentenced him, uh, Frank has asked that, that Antoon be recused because he thinks that he is prejudicial, so we want mm-hmm. him out of the picture. Mm-hmm. And the best thing for us to do right now is to get a hearing before the 11th District Court of Appeals in Atlanta. And Charles, has have you found, or ha- I mean, I, I'm assuming you're you're actively working on this as well. Is that true? Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, have have you found newly discovered evidence, evidence that you didn't know about at the time uh, this happened? No, nothing's been newly discovered. Uh, we just keep keep going over the old stuff and trying to get it to stick, get somebody in the court to listen to it, you know, so we can have a hearing. We need our day in court. And he, you mm-hmm. know, because of the time bar thing, we lost that, and, and because of the fact that Frank wanted to let the statute of limitations run, uh, so none of the rest of us would be brought in. I mean, mm-hmm. the IRS, uh, or the assistant U.S. attorney, had guilty pleas all written out for all of us to sign, you know, and uh, Frank would be the only one to to spend any time behind bars, but we would all be charged and apparently get uh, probation. But I had no knowledge of it any more than Frank did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yet, the U.S. attorney wanted to charge every one of us with it. Isn't that interesting? It is. Well, um, I have something that he wrote to you, to, that Frank wrote to you about the about intent, actually, called mm-hmm. mens rea. Mens rea, as those of us that work in the criminal environment, the judicial environment, means that you have knowledge, you have guilty intent, guilty knowledge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to show an intent um, to commit a crime and if there's if there's information that negates that, such as in Frank's case, he's bipolar, or a good faith rely, reliability on uh, his advice of his CPA or his attorney or some government official, then that should override the uh, mens rea or the guilty intent. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do you guys, you guys that are private investigators working on this, how do you go back and show that there's no guilty intent? Well, we go back, all all the meetings in our, in our boardrooms, in our various buildings had videotape, uh, and, and microphones, everything was recorded or signs were posted. So there's nothing okay. secret about it. So 
we've gone back and we've reviewed the videotapes. And one of the tapes that I reviewed showed that uh, a former law enforcement agent by the name of Bill Eplin, who's uh, one of the agents I hired, and uh, Kelly Tomeo, she's an attorney, former law enforcement officer. Those two, in one of the uh, tapes that I reviewed, showed uh, no misconduct on Amadeo's part and only poor judgment on the part of the Morales officers in conducting their own quasi-independent discussion. So we've listened to a lot of tapes, and there's thousands of hours of tapes, and tried to figure out which is the best one to listen to. And mm-hmm. we've certainly listened to them, and there's just nothing in there in any of those tapes that indicates any knowledge of anything that, that, that Frank had, you know, in committing a, a crime. You know, and then the other day, I looked at as Frank's uh, insistence. He asked me to look for ignorance of the law on crime, on, on, on failure to pay taxes, and I found out that the the, the, uh, the U.S. Supreme Court has ruled that uh, lack of knowledge on this thing does not make it a criminal case. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is uh, what year this this ruling was made. But anyway, this is something I just discovered the other day on on his behalf. Um, so that's another thing he's using to file on his appeal. Okay, so I guess it begs the question of what kind of due diligence was done before he purchased this payroll company. Well, I was not involved with that part of it. Uh, some of our people in the private investigator side were involved, but I don't know how deep they went. I have no idea. I mean, it seems like but, if they didn't have their payroll tax, that's public record, they didn't have their payroll taxes uh, submitted there should be liens and so forth, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, you would think that would have been obvious, <laughs> I guess. Maybe well, that's you, why. You, you, you would think, but I, I don't know if they, I don't know how big they were. I have no idea. Yeah. It's not in charge of that part yeah. of it. And we had so many things right. going on in so many companies, I couldn't keep track of everything. There's no way. Right. Do you think this is a, uh, a result of growing too fast? No, I take it as a result of incompetence by the part of the assistant U.S. attorney. Okay. I make a name for himself. Well, I don't well, think I'm our think, growth I'm, had anything to do with it. Yeah, I'm just thinking, I was thinking applying the growth to the lack of knowledge about the um, outstanding taxes. That maybe if if it ha- the company hadn't grown so fast, maybe that would have been looked at. Well, I, ca- I can't deny that. Can't deny that. Yeah, could have been, but you know, we we were a fast-growing company, acquiring companies all over the world. So. Uh, I even went to yeah. to visit one of our companies in London one time. I've, I've uh-huh. gone to companies around the world to do security inspections of the buildings and make recommendations on how to improve security. So we've always been concerned with security, but our people and our companies it's very top priority with Frank with all of his people. Yeah, yeah. Well, Anybody I mean, I just, Sorry. Go ahead. What were you going to say? If somebody, if, if any of the females that are in the escort after hours or whatever to the car, we'd always assign somebody to walk out with them just to make sure they were safe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, security of the personnel is very important. That's why we had uh, the door locked. You couldn't go down the hall until it was cleared by the receptionist and she had electronic door release. And then and only then could you get down the hall and see anybody. Hmm. Yeah, it's amazing. So security and all crossing the T's and dotting the I's was very important. Yes. Okay, 
We have to take another uh, break, Charles. We'll be right back in a few minutes. Thank you. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PIs Declassified. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. Frank Amadio, former CEO of Mirabilis. Is that, am I pronouncing it right, Charles? Mirabilis? Ventures? Yes. Okay. It's serving 22, over 22 years in prison. And Charles Ron does not believe he should be there and is talking about it and telling us why. You know, you said, Charles, that he took four polygraphs. Are th- were, yes. Who are these polygraphs, lie detector tests, uh, who are these conducted by? Well, two of them are private, and no, three of them are private, and one of them is by the government. Okay, and he, he passed conclusively all four. All four of them, yes. And that information wasn't used to negotiate a, a better position for Frank? Well, we tried, but uh, the attorney that he hired just did not do his job. Uh, he, he, he figured out, you know, because of the fact that he was going to make $1.2 million and he was going to do that come hell or high water, he, uh, he pled, pled Frank guilty as Frank was standing there drooling from the mouth because of being over-medicated after being four months in a uh, mental hospital up in McLean, Virginia. Mm-hmm. And what's happened to this attorney? Is he still in practice? Uh, he's uh, semi-retired now. Did... <laughs> that check, he, was he, there... he's totally retired. <laughs> okay. So did was there any adverse action against him? Not yet, but uh, there probably will be before it's over with once Frank gets out. We're, we're considering... Uh, civil lawsuits against him and several other people that gave bad advice and whatever. So 
And I'm okay, not really so thinking know, much more about that. You know, Charles, it's really unusual to have somebody that it talks as openly as you do. You are about a strategy on getting a case overturned. You know how that unusual that is, right? Yes, and it's very hard to do that. Very, very hard in the federal system to get a case overturned. Yeah, but but even to just talk about what you're doing and what your strategy is, uh, I've actually never heard anybody do that before. So uh, this is pretty amazing to me that uh, Frank, I mean, I know Frank gave you permission to be on the show today and say whatever yes. you was important for you to say, um, yes. but it's very unusual for for that to be happening. Uh-huh. So I, well, we have nothing I to hide. Pl- nothing to hide at all. Yeah, yeah. So what, um, I guess, since you've been so involved in this, um, what advice do you have to private investigators who might get themselves into investigating a case like this one where, they, where you believe in, in your mission? What kind of advice would you give them? Well, first of all, I would, uh, I would give them advice to, if you firmly believe the innocence of your client, get into it with your your heart and soul. Really get into it, and you got to believe it, and you got to show people that you believe in it. And you believe in his the person's innocence, and that's what you're doing mm-hmm. is working for for that person. Try to get them out or to get their uh, convictions overturned. You know, it's often said that it's much more difficult to work on a person's case who is innocent than one who is guilty. All right. It is. Would you agree with that? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you you feel like you have to work around the clock. <laughs> Time is running out. Yes, it um, is. Yes. Okay. The All funny right. thing about so, Frank is he he is so complacent actually being in prison. He, you know, because he stays busy. Everybody likes him there. He's in the law library from seven a.m. to to midnight seven days a week. He loves helping people. And uh, when he gets out, he's, 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 he's kind of set up a law firm just to help people that have been wrongly convicted in prison. We'll, he'll have you know, private investigators and paralegals go out to the prisons and interview these inmates, and they, if they believe in their innocence, then we will take that case and take it all to the Supreme Court if we have to. He has mm-hmm. become that strongly uh, engrossed into this thing that he wants to help people, and that's what he's been mm-hmm. doing for the last seven years behind bars. Does Florida have an innocence project? Uh, this is not this is not a Florida project. This is federal, and I'm not. I think Florida does have an innocence project, by the way. But right, okay. federal. Fred, right, federal. I guess federal doesn't have uh, innocence projects, do they? No. So, so I'm I'm reading here. Um, on some of the material you gave me, that the courts all ruled, the circuit court as well as the district court ruled that there had to be a claim by claim analysis. So every every single line item that they base the, the indictment on has to be disproved. Is that am I understanding that correctly? Yes, we, yes, we have to challenge every every line of it, every every charge of it, yes, every bit. That is, I mean. It's just, it's just overwhelming. <laughs> how many how many boxes of discovery are there? We got seventy five box bankers boxes full of paper, and then we've got 
I don't know how many discs we've got full of video of all the meetings and all that stuff. But we've got tons of stuff, and it's it, it, it takes so much time to go through that stuff, and it's been a number of years, you know, for us all going through this stuff and mm-hmm. trying to get to the meat of the matter and try to get to, you know to prove his innocence. And I think we've done it. We just got to get the courts to agree with us. Right. And has somebody actually inputted all that information into some kind of a database where you can manage it? Um, uh, we've in got an in-house database uh, on it, and then there's a we have a, also have a, a, a website uh, frankamadeo.com that uh, has his story on there. It has all the facts. It tells the stories of the inmates that he's helped in prison. It also has uh, uh, reports from the inmates on how Frank. Uh, actually help them out. So it's just okay, a great so are, to get more information. Okay, so people are interested in looking that up further. It's Frank Amadeo, A M O D E O, that's all one word. Right. Dot com. At um dot com. www.frankamadeo.com. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So you filed an appeal yesterday. Right. And and what does that appeal appeal consist of? It, it consists of one is asking the judge to recuse himself, two to let it be heard in the federal courts in the federal district court in, in Atlanta. That's what the appeal is requesting. Mm-hmm. And Atlanta is um, the federal the district court district. for Florida. It's the 11th District Court for the Southeast United States. Okay, the 11th District. Okay. Okay. And do you have a feeling of how long it takes for that appeal to get to somebody to look at before there's a uh, some kind of an action on it? Well, they're supposed to do it in a certain period of time, but one of his uh, appeals, the judge sat on a thing for over six months before he made a ruling on the thing. So that means six more months in prison. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I don't know if they had, what he had to do in that case. That was a local judge, a local federal judge. What he had to do in that case was file a direct appeal to the Eleventh District in Atlanta, and, and they they remanded back to the judge here uh, to to have him make a ruling on the thing. Mm-hmm. Of course, this, this ruling was negative. You know, it was not in favor of Frank, but at least a ruling was made. So, right, because they have they have to have a ruling for. From the lower court to be able to address it, and that is that right. correct? Right. Yeah. Okay. So now the well. call is in the part of the eleventh district court in Atlanta to get get this thing moving again. Okay. But if you look at the um, the district court when they get an appeal like this one, then. Don't they have to go back and look at a record of some kind? What happens at that level? Do you know? I have no idea. I don't know how to handle the inner workings of the court. I know mm-hmm. that they do have to make a ruling. They can't just sit on it and let it go. But they have to make a ruling of some sort. Of course, if a ruling is not in our favor, then the appeal is then up to you know, go to the U.S. Supreme Court if they'll take it. And there's no guarantee the Supreme Court will take, take it into consideration. Right. Because uh, sometimes, uh, you know... District courts just kind of rubber stamp and send it back without even looking at it. Right. That's been known to happen, yes. That's been known to happen. Has it happened to Frank yet? No. No, everything he's 
request. There's been some kind of ruling on the thing, but well, most of the time it's been against Frank. That's why he just keeps filing. And one of the things he's filed on is a time bar thing because of the fact that earlier appeals uh, years ago were uh, appeals were sent back to the wrong address. Frank never got them. So that the time bar ran over. And that's one of the things he's appealing on now is the time bar thing. Okay, so when you say wrong address, was it went sent to the wrong prison, or was there a, a the wrong prison, private address? The wrong prison is, uh, where was it sent to? I think it was sent to maybe the Orange County Jail, because he was briefly incarcerated here in Orlando at the Orange County Jail. I think it was sent to the jail, and they were forwarded to him. Anyway, it, 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 the clerks, we've already discovered through the clerk's office that it was mailed to the wrong place. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, and does that does that carry any weight at all in the uh, appellate court? I hope it does. We're certainly hoping it uh, it uh, has a bearing on this thing. To, yeah, of course, we're hitting from every angle we can to try to get them to reopen this right. thing. Yeah. I know. Yeah, I know. And I'm filing well, a I, pa- filing a paper almost every other week. Sometimes really? papers twice a week. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and. Frank, Frank uh, so, is well known <laughs> in the court. I'll now. bet. When you, when you walk in, they recognize you immediately. You know what you're doing, right? <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, the uh, so, U.S. Uh, Marshals there know me by first name basis because I go in there so much. Yeah. Well, you're the primary contact uh, with Frank. Uh, how about the other private investigators and the attorneys? Are they visiting Frank as well? Yes, mm-hmm. they are. We have okay. a total of. Uh, Three attorneys that visit with him. We have a total of uh, three three private investigators that visit with him, and this is all on a regular basis. Plus, he's in communication with us by uh, what they call correction mail, core mail. And uh, what we have to do is we have to apply to be on his email system. And of course, they monitor everything going in and out, and also our phone calls uh, are all monitored, except for phone calls with the attorney, which is privileged communication. Mm-hmm. They cannot. Mm-hmm. They cannot monitor those calls. Yeah, but I kind of found it amazing us. that found it amazing that he had email access. Um, mm-hmm. That's 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 kind of a new thing. <laughs> yes. So, so it's, it's nice know, I wonder how. Go ahead. I said it's really nice to have, even though there's a delay in getting it because they monitor, it has to be monitored there first before it's delayed on to come out of the system. So there's an hour and a half delay usually. And I write him something. It takes an hour and a half for him to get it. And it takes another hour and a half for me to get it back. So it's three hours from the time you know send a message. So you don't expect but immediate response. Compared to a letter, that's fabulous. Yes, it is. Compared to a letter to the old days, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So okay. So somebody at the prison reads every email that goes out of the prison. Every bit of it. Every bit of uh-huh. it. Just like they do the letters, yeah. Mm-hmm. And is there some kind of a is there some kind of something on the email that lets you know that they've reviewed it, or you no, just, just no, you just no, know no that? indication, that. nothing, nothing, nothing there at all. No. Hmm. Well, that's so we that's kind of cool. Real. That. So so it certainly beats guess, Pony Express. <laughs> yeah, it definitely beats Pony Express. <laughs> <laughs> you and I are both old enough to not Pony Express, but at least know about the snail mail part. <laughs> yeah. 
Yes. Oh, yeah. I remember the days of the three-cent stamp. <laughs> I am... <laughs> I'm not sure I go back that far. (laughs) I'm not asking. (laughs) That's okay. Well, you know, uh, Charles, I applaud your effort. And I think that it's just uh, amazing that you have so many people that believe in Frank Amadeo. And, uh, you know, I hope you're successful. uh, He's already served seven years. Mm-hmm. And he, w- he waited five years, he said, because he didn't want to expose anybody else. Right. So it's only been really two years that he's been working on this. Right. And, you know, I, I don't know how, about how it is in Florida, but in California, sometimes it takes five years before you even get an appellate attorney appointed, you know, so mm-hmm. uh, when, it, when it's court appointed. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, you don't have to worry about court appointments. You don't have to worry about the funding because you're all doing this for free. And that's, that yes. says a lot. Says yeah, a lot. we believe in him. We certainly we believe in him. The only one attorney well, my best- that's paid by the federal court is one attorney. And right now, Frank is asking the courts to pay, pay me as the guardian. But that's, that's still on, uh, on hold right now. We don't know how that's going to go yet. Well, that seems fair. You're spending a lot of time doing, uh, doing the work of a guardian, so that seems fair. Well, we're at the end of our show, Charles. This is fascinating. I hope folks will watch Frank Amadeo's case, uh, frankamadeo.com, if you're interested. And um, if you're interested in advertising on this, on this show, I'd certainly be interested in hearing from you or contact my wonderful producer, uh, Sondra Rogers at voiceamerica.com. So join me again next week when we declassify more real stories from real investigators like Charles Ron every Thursday morning. It's P.I.'s Declassified. I'm Francie Kaler. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to P.I.'s Declassified with your host, Francie Kaler. Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern Time. That's 9 a.m. for you West Coast listeners. P.I.'s Declassified explores stories of deceit, mystery, and detectives unraveling the truth. Every Thursday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, here on the Voice America Variety Channel. I'm Jesse Gonzalez, Vice President.